Welcome to So You Went to School for Singing, the podcast. I am your host, Andre Peel, and thank you so much for joining the conversation. Each episode, a guest and I talk about all things singing, the career, education, and so much more. All right, let's get started. Today, I am joined by the queen of the Carolinas herself, <laughs> soprano Jamisa Latrina Yarborough. Your whole name today for you, Jamisa. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you today? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me. Good, good, good. So how are you enjoying or not enjoying this quarantine time that we have been thrown into? Wow. Uh, quarantine is sort of amazing been amazing good and amazing bad (laughs) um i've had some time to really work on some things that i've been putting off um but also too like i've been really fortunate during quarantine i'm really happy for the companies that have really reached out and like done stuff for artists and to see the kind of love and commitment that some of those like sponsors donors um people in general have to um supporting artists in general I'm seeing that outpour of love is just really amazing. Um, I'm really sad for some of my friends who really had things lined up um, and it just kind of went away, dissolved instantly. Um, This year for me, I only had, I decided early on that I was just gonna do a competition uh, season. So it wasn't, um, I didn't have any like big gigs or anything lined up for this particular year. So um, it hasn't really affected me um, in that way as as harshly as some of my friends. So um, it's been it's been good. I won a competition in the middle of everything, and yeah, shout out to the Cooper Bing competition. Yeah, Upper Columbus. I mean, amazing, amazing people over there. Um, um, the Jensen Foundation actually applied for their competition, and they sent all the artists two hundred dollars, which was like, what is that? Like, in the middle of this this moment where everyone's struggling to make it ends meet to just go out to the to the um to the mailbox and find money <laughs> it was like oh no magic <laughs> so um so yeah it's been kind of weird but you know i live alone so i really like have no one to talk to <laughs> it's just me hanging out looking at the wall and watching netflix incessantly um when i'm not practicing or sewing something (laughs) you know it's finding a new schedule or keeping a schedule or throwing your schedule out the window whatever works to kind of get you through this time um let's start with the one thing everyone has to answer tell me your operatic origin story how did you start singing who encouraged you where did you first learn classical music and your early early stages of training so that's kind of a weird interesting story so um opera is not wasn't really a part classical music in general wasn't a part of the audio playlist that i had growing up um it was not i mean the most i'd heard of it was watching it you know looney tunes um there was no like um immediate or express exploration of classical music um, until I decided I wanted to sing. Um, I have always been a singer. I had always been a singer, but my my mom wanted to nurture the gift, and I, I had sung R&B growing up and, and just 
enjoyed singing along to the radio. And I told my mom one day, I really want to sing. I want to go to school for singing. And she just did the research. I mean, she opened up the Pandora's box, you know, the whole can of worms, trying to find some place that people knew what they were doing. Um, so we kind of found the Baltimore School for the Arts, which was um, sort of where everything began for me. Um, it was a, um, we, well, I guess actually even before Baltimore School for the Arts, there was a magnet program at a school that I went to in Baltimore County. And the school, I can't remember the name of the school now, um, but um, we, I had sort of placed an all-county course and all that stuff, you know, in the sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Um, when eighth grade came around, there was this magnet school opportunity for a uh, school that we went to, and I went there. And there was this teacher named Mrs. Ashmore. Oh, my gosh. I remember Mrs. Ashmore like it was yesterday. Um, she was a course teacher at the time, and um, she had kind of seen a little bit of talent and she was like, oh, you should audition for Baltimore School of the Arts. And so we auditioned with Hello Young Lovers. <laughs> like, Hello Young Lovers. <laughs> everybody loves it. Um, and I got in. Um, <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, this is what we're doing. And so I showed up on the first day, and they had pulled out Vivaldi's Gloria um, for the course to go over it. And I sat next to this senior who just the first time we just when you did it back then you just went through the first time um beginning to end and just kind of blah 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 do 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 through everything and um the conductor at the time he just he just let us go and i was sitting next to the senior and she was having the time of her life singing this music and i'm confused i don't know what notes are i don't i don't really know how to read music well i'm like okay but she's so excited and it was just really infectious mm -hmm. um and so i started to over that semester sort of fall in love with what it meant to be a singer and started to learn my voice and Got my uh, my first twenty six Italian with that Ochesate di Piagarmi. <laughs> I don't know that was it. Ochesate di Piagarmi. Clearly, you do know it. <laughs> I mean, I, you know what? Honestly, I don't think I've ever heard it in its entirety. <laughs> Just that part right there. Yep. Um, but uh, yeah, and I had a teacher, and actually, the weird thing about my teacher at the time, she did not sing. Like she was an older teacher, and she literally didn't sing anything for me. Um, so it was, I had this from the very beginning, you have to learn what your voice sounds like. I didn't get the kind of um, parrot it back sort of situation that happens yes. when you're a young singer. That's so interesting. So you had to, it was automatically your responsibility to know the sounds that you, your teacher wanted to make instead of just trying to recreate what they were doing. Yeah, she never demonstrated for me. She couldn't. Um, she was very, uh, she was, uh, she was an older lady at the time. And so she couldn't, I mean, and I remember, I still have even in my 26 Italian book, I still have her handwriting, which had like her cursive writing, which she insisted on having cursive, which tells you that. Um, but then it was like very shaky. <laughs> so God bless. Was, God bless. I was like, so I don't even know if, if she had a vibrato, if it would like shake her whole body or something. <laughs> it, was, it was absolutely crazy. But I became um, from the very beginning responsible for what my voice sounded like. Um, and that was kind of kind of an amazing journey itself. A gift. Yeah, honestly. a real gift. A real mm -hmm. gift. Um, and I was a little jealous at the time of all the people who could, whose teachers could sing really well and like were demonstrating um, but it forced me very on to own whatever my sound was. Yeah. 
Um, so that was cool. Um, but in general, um, Baltimore School of the Arts is kind of where it started. And then I made this transition to go into North Carolina School of the Arts. Uh, my mom was getting married uh, for the second time and she wanted to move out of state. Um, and I told her, <laughs> I was very bold. I was like, I'm not going if there is no singing school. <laughs> like, I'm not leaving a really good singing school to go to a place where there's no singing. Yes. And uh, so my mom did her research um, and she found uh, the School of the Arts in Winston-Salem. And at that time, it was particularly difficult to get into the program. And so they would, if you were... Um, a singer, but you were too young to get in the program, and at that time I think it was 14, and you had to be 15 already on campus. Um, and so uh, at 14, we went to the administration office, and this is the weirdest thing. Went to the administration office, and my mom had this terrible habit of showing up a place and making me sing. Um, I felt so much like one of those little monkeys with the lip tamlery when I was at the, mm -hmm. uh, the little, I mean, like, I hated it so much. But um, in this particular instance, it paid off. So we went to the admissions office, and we're talking to the lady about what it takes to get into the school. What do you have to apply for? What do you have to do? And um, the lady's like, well, your daughter's a little young. Like, she may not get in the first time around. And, I, you know, my mom was like, no, 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 you need to listen to her. <laughs> Count on Trina to make it to make someone listen to me. Um, and so I sang for them in the office right then. And the lady in admissions got on the phone and she called some of the voice teachers that she told that she knew that were working at the school. And she was like, you got to hear this girl. And so I auditioned and I got in. And when I walked on campus, I was still 14, not quite, or was it 16? I can't I think remember. it might have been 16. And 16. You. you had to be 16 when you walked on campus, and I was still 15. Yes. Um, so I was a couple of months from 16 when I walked on campus. So I had, whoop, whoop, broken that tradition. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, and it kind of just had gone on from there. Um, School of the Arts was, School of the Arts in Winston-Salem was one of the most uh, nurturing and, um, and challenging places um, that I had to go to. Um, I felt like when I started, I had some information, never all the information. Um, and then when I left there, I felt like I had more information, which is a lot better than some of the other experiences <laughs> yes. that people have. Yes, yes. Um, so yeah, I've had a really beautiful, I think, journey. It's very unique in that um, it started and it's kind of just progressed. And there was never really a point where it stopped. Yes, and so I guess for the people at home, you and I started the School of the Arts at the same time. You were junior in high school, I was a senior in high school. We both did the undergrad program. Mm -hmm. I took a year off, so since I graduated first, and then we both went to Florida State University. Yeah, so we've like lived our whole lives together at this point. You know, like... at least the academic one. <laughs> yeah. um, so what was your experience going from, actually at School of the Arts, maybe in an undergrad level, not so much high school, and going to Florida State, what were things that you wish you learned, things that you learned that you weren't expecting to learn, 
Uh, yeah. Um, I will say in my undergrad career, I did not practice enough. Um, I kind of went into undergrad a little cocky because I had so much training for high school. And my counterpart didn't have as much training coming in. They were sort of, all of them were really new to learning classical music. So I was this sort of vet in a way because I had all this information. Couldn't tell you how to use it. Couldn't, wasn't able to actually practically use it on my voice nine, nine times out of ten. Um, but, um, but that was like the thing that I just like did not do enough of. Did not do enough practicing. Um, but I still, even without doing enough practicing, I still grew. Which was probably, like, in hindsight, terrible for who was as a person because it was like, I don't have to practice, I'll just keep getting better. I, I compare it to when you get, if you ever have to wear braces and you have to get rubber bands, and they're, especially if you don't have to wear the rubber bands all the time, if you just have to do it for nighttime, and you go to your, and you don't wear them consistently, mm -hmm. but you go to your orthodontist and they're like oh you've been wearing your your rubber bands they're starting your teeth are still forming on the path that mm -hmm. we wanted and it's like not exactly but the fact that growth will happen regardless just because you're in it and so it's like yes i did progress could i have progressed more right probably, probably. <laughs> uh, yeah well i mean <clears throat> that's part of it you live and you learn um but i think by the time i was a well, I kind of had a rough undergrad in that. So the first year went well. Everything was going swell. Beginning of second year, they had this new program where they went and took everybody to go get scoped for the first time in the history of the program. And everybody, everybody got, everybody in my year got this scoping done. Um, and I remember standing in the office at like 6 o'clock at night. Everyone's in there. We're all like chatty, chatty, Kathy. And we go in and get it scoped. And... I remember going in, having a good time, and like singing with them, and then um, I came out and the doctor called some of us back in and had like these individual consultations to tell us what they saw and like what the, the hope was that we would all get this healthy baseline. Mm -hmm. um, but when I went in, they told me that I had pre-nodes. And at the time, the only idea in my head that I had of nodes was something um, associated with like Mariah Carey or something at that time <laughs> and I was like she couldn't sing like I could I can't sing like what happened and so <laughs> and so I went to see a speech language pathologist and they determined um, based on the video and based on speaking to me and another scoping that it was actually my speaking voice that was causing the vocal damage um, and I had never thought of it that way like I just never thought of it that way they said for the most part your voice itself is I mean like when you're singing is fine it you know you have enough space you have but growing up where I grew up we are I, I come from a very loud family yes um, we make noise for no reason um, and so um, so I kind of learned um, I had to I had to go and do all this stuff and I had ended up having surgery actually where they removed my adenoid tissue because during the scoping they noticed it was difficult to get through certain parts of my system um, and it turned out that I had like all I never experienced allergies before this 
Um, and then they took out my adenoid tissue, and all of a sudden, all the things, watery <laughs> eyes, sneezing, coughing. I was like, what is this? I never had this before. I hated it. But we also found in the studio that half my sound was blocked between these, like, huge adenoid tissue things. And so it was like this crazy, crazy thing, like leveling up thing that yes, happened yes. at the same time of, like, a very it was still a very difficult transition so when we went there i worked with the speech language pathologist over at duke and she was amazing she was a uh, um her name was lita sears dr lita sears i think and she was a singer she i mean like sang in the mat or something for a few things for a few seasons and um it was amazing to work with this lady who understood that there were things you know, there were vocal things that you need to be aware of, things that you, you know, how you're closing on vowels, how you're closing. And I would talk for, oh, she would teach me, she retaught me how to speak. Um, and that was amazing. I mean, to be able to ask someone, is this open enough? Is this closed enough? Does this have enough breath pressure? Mm -hmm. um, is this healthy? Um, and so she, she walked me through all of that and um, I had the adenoid removal surgery and then after that, no, well, yes, after that, I went through this time when I was learning all of this where I couldn't speak and sing a whole bunch. Mm -hmm. So sophomore year at School of the Arts, there's this huge thing at the end of the year they're called comprehensives and that, were they called comprehensives? Sophomore comps. Yeah. yeah, sophomore comprehensives. And basically it was like the, the, the middle... This pit stop between you and graduation, where you got to get off the ride yes. <laughs> and keep riding, and sometimes you were put off the ride. So um, you had to learn four new pieces and four old pieces, and um, I had all my old pieces in the bag, but I had to learn all these four new pieces. But this vocal injury happened at the beginning of sophomore year, so and it was the second semester of sophomore year that you had to take this comprehensive. And I couldn't sing leading up to this comprehensive. So all of the work to like learn all this music was like mental and like, yes. and like I only got to sing like in my lessons, like I couldn't practice. Um, and then, and I mean, and it was an emotional time too, cause I was like, I'm losing my voice. Like what if I can never sing again? Like it really put this like, are you sure? Yes. Are you sure? Um, on on top of everything. So I made it through that, which, come on, like no one has a story <laughs> like that. Come on, I made it through that. You're like, whatever. And you think after that, I'd be like, I'm going to practice more. I was like, I got better and I didn't sing. <laughs> so... <laughs> the world gave you an inch, so you took a I mile. Took it, I took a mile. Um, but then music got really hard. Like, as, as it does, as junior it does, year. junior year, it got you had to learn a lot more stuff, <laughs> and um, it wasn't forgiving. <laughs> um, and I found out that I didn't have um, as great of skills as I thought I did at learning music. Um, I, I wasn't as good as I thought I was at um, making sure rhythms and um, and vocal things were lined up, and um, it was scary. I wasn't always singing on pitch because you had I had this adenoid tissue removed and then 
I had to relearn what it was like using my whole body to sing because I was only using like a portion of it because only a, so much air could go through. Yeah. So um, I began to have pitch problems. That was a whole thing. <laughs> uh, that was a whole thing. Um, but then, but then we sort of by senior year we sort of got everything settled. So I was very happy with that. Um, and going into grad school um, at Florida State, that was sort of a a trial in and of itself. Um, just because I, at undergrad, because of all the vocal things that I had to overcome, I didn't really have the performance opportunities that I thought I would have. And um, Florida State offered a lot of performance opportunities. Um, and so... I, I went there because of the plethora of performance opportunities. Um, and I only saw the stage really in sort of a featured way once. Um, and that was really disappointing to me in my graduate school experience. But on the flip side of that, that was the in-school experience. Outside of school, it forced me to be really inventive about ways that I could be able to sing outside of just perform outside of just school. And so I became part of two choirs and I sang my booty off. Um, some got to sing some some really interesting, weird works mm -hmm. um, with these choirs and as a feature soloist. Um, and I became really good at doing the standalone pieces and things like doing the, the, the soloist work yeah. um, all around town and sort of got a name for myself in that area for that. Um, so it turned out to be this thing that I, this challenge that I just met yeah. with like weird, <laughs> weird vigor and like creative, creative possibilities. So, um, yeah, so I, I mean, all in all, my, my journey has not been a straight up path. Like I, I didn't, you know, I didn't sing my first solo and then sing my first role. And then yeah, sing. yeah, yeah. Like I sang my first role, you know, full, my first full role was Sword Angelica. And that was something that Florida State gave me. And I sang it in a, um, what do they call those? Scenes, a scenes performance. And the second half was just, swore Angelica mm -hmm. <laughs> and I got to sing Angelica and it was magical it was magical it was amazing to really put something on to research and dig in and put something on its feet um, and then the most magical thing happened I got to do that exact thing mm -hmm. in Italy not three or four months later than that so it was like okay okay I may not have gotten all the opportunities that I wanted leading up to that but then to go to Italy in the birthplace of opera and just make magic happen with something that I knew so familiar, that was so familiar to me, um, it just, that, that was magical. And they received me with so much just joy and love and excitement um, for all of it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's working. <laughs> it's working. Life is working. It was working. So, um growing up I think we all hear the way that the career goes and there are certain things like you know some people are young artist singers and they go into young artist programs they go out of young artist programs do roles da 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 da, da 
And then we hear that there's some singers who don't do young artist programs, can't do young artist programs, because I think being a young artist singer, for the most part, you have to be a very versatile voice. And nine times out of ten, those are more lyrical voices. Yeah. Because they can be put in more standard repertoire places. And so if you don't find that you sing that repertoire, the young artist route doesn't always seem um, as easy or feasible, even possible. Mm-hmm. And there's so many singers that we know that never did a young artist program. But, and so the, the alternative to the YAP life is the competition life. And it seems that you've done what, really well at competitions. Do you feel that you still want to, do you have an, uh, an anchoring uh, pool to sing at these young artist programs now? Or do you think at this point you just want to do more? Have you found more success in competitions and hope having that be your door into uh, more professional opportunities and roles? So the young artist route for me definitely felt that way. Um, that my voice was too ornate or too different to really fit into what a standardized um, program would need. Um, and so and so it was and so competitions were the only place that gave me a goal to go towards, um, like a goal, a date to fight towards. Um, and so I sort of started using doing more competitions as a way to give myself a goal, um, a performance goal. Yes. And so that inventive way of thinking about it created a whole different way of how to win competitions, how to lose competitions. Um, so the winning or losing was never really the point of the competition. The whole point was, hey, I learned this new aria. I need to put this aria on its feet. Yes. And I want, I want to see if I can sing for 20 minutes and not and not give up. <laughs> well, and it's interesting that you say that because one thing that I've realized being outside of school is that there is no resource of like, oh, I'm work- working on this new aria for our, for audition season. Let me go and find, go to like the community opera workshop class and just test it out. There's no, there's no opportunity outside of school to work on your stuff. Yeah, well, I would say that except I have found during a season when I was um, right after I came back from Italy, mm-hmm. I had this um, sort of very special, very, very special situation happen to me where I had a mentor and a benefactor say, hey, I'm going to take care of your audition tour. Um, and my parents were like, hey, if she's taking care of your audition tour, the best thing we can do is give you a year and we'll take care of your living expenses. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, guys, that does not happen. Like, I have no idea how my parents pulled that off. I have no idea how this mentor that I have um, really... I have no idea why Like, why I was special enough to her to do this. My teacher at the time, she was, like, you know, really, really a big root... Like, rooting for me. And she sort of hooked me up with this mentor and benefactor. And it was just this whole very crazy, crazy, like, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And I tried to take hold of it as hard as I could and tried to work as hard as I could to try to make it happen. Um, And during that time, I got to travel quite a bit back and forth 
to New York because mm-hmm. I moved to Baltimore for a few months to make this this whole situation happen. Mm-hmm. And I was traveling back and forth to New York, and I there was a g- small group of singers who used to get together and do exactly what you're mm-hmm. talking about. Um, you had to sign up and you know go there or whatever. And I think at some point there became a fee so that they can rent a room or something. Um, but I got invited to this, and I never went. Which is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I got invited to it, but I never went. Only because um, whenever I did go to New York, I tried to keep my my stays really short mm-hmm. because someone else was paying for it. So yeah. there was this like pressure of like balancing spending other people's money yeah. <laughs> um, that I really felt a lot of pressure for. Um, so while it was like really great that I had all this freedom to like really do my art, it was also this added pressure of am I doing enough? Um, am I, is this paying off enough? Am I, am I really doing everything I can to be successful? Um, and so, um, so anyway, so with all of that, during that time I auditioned for, that was the first season that I auditioned for all the big yap. Mm-hmm. Um, I did WNO, I did HGO, um, I did, um, God, I did, I, I applied for Marola, I did, like, I did everything. And that the like unanimous thought at 25 with repertoire I was singing um, was not yet, mm-hmm. not no, not yes, just not yet. Yes. And it that was hard. That I, I didn't expect that. Um, it wasn't like oh you just need this little bit of polishing. It wasn't like oh, you just need to work on this couple of things. It was like, no, 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 you just, we just want to see where your voice ends up. Um, which was a hard thing to hear because around me, all my friends, who happen to have, I guess, a little different type of instrument, a lot of them had different types of instruments than me. But, like, my friends were getting opera roles, my friends were getting hired by companies, they were getting into these, yeah, these young artist programs, and I had all of this extra help and I couldn't cross that threshold for myself. Um, and then, out of the darkness, came a little light. And that's when I got into Opera Saratoga, um, which that summer was a magical summer. Um, and I got my first run and jump at the Countess. Now, the Countess, I had been singing her my whole life. I, I mean, like... I think the first official aria I got was Porgia Moore. <laughs> so mm-hmm. like the the slow climb to the to the couches. Yes. Like I've been singing her since I was like maybe seventeen. So mm-hmm. like um and many different versions of her. So like it was wonderful to like be able to sort of put that on its feet. Um and sing that at Upper Saratoga, but they chose me. Um I, I mean, I think that I was chosen in that situation because they were moved by the audition. And let me tell you, I think that's the only time I've ever gotten a role. The only time I've ever gotten a role was when the room was moved. Um, that's how I got uh, Mimi in 2000 and last year in 2019. It, they were sobbing after I finished. That lit, I mean, after hearing a full day's worth of auditions, they were crying when I finished. Um, and that's literally, unless the audience, like, I just have a connection with audiences, which is why I think I've done so well in competitions, 
um, because I'm not there to win, because I'm not there to, to sing for the judges, I think I've had so much success with it because I sing for the audience. Mm-hmm. And I sing from my heart, and I sing because I love it, because, it lo- because there's nothing else I love doing more. And, um, and researching and embodying these characters. Um, and so I think that's the only reason I've had more success in competitions versus young artist programs. I feel like young artist programs are looking for you to hit certain markers. Um, they're not necessarily looking to be moved every time. They are looking for a singer. They're really looking for a structured amount of things. And I almost never fit that structured amount of things. But if it was about opera, if it was about moving, moving people, if it was about the music, I've always gotten it. Mm-hmm. I've always done well with it. Mm-hmm. So, I guess, <laughs> because we're both uh, people of color, I, I would be remiss to not ask about your experience as a person of color in this journey and the importance of visibility and the importance of, I don't know, being around people who look like you. It doesn't have to be everyone, but being not being the only person that looks like you in a room and what that feels like when the majority of your time on stage or majority of your time in auditions, you're auditioning for people who seemingly have never remotely walked your path um, but still feel <clears throat> that they have a space to judge is a bad word because audition people don't just do their job but to they feel like they can make assumptions about your life when they've never lived it. Yeah. Um, which I think can be said for a lot of people. But what have, has been your experience as a person of color, especially a soprano, in this business? I always thought it was interesting when you were younger, whatever that means, I think it was so interesting that people would consistently compare you. Whenever you would sing a sound or a good sound, it would there would be like a Leontine comment or a Jesse Norman comment and how it seems like everyone's always trying just to find the next Jesse Norman or the next Leontine or the next Kathleen battle and that we, Sopranos I guess specifically in this case, are only allowed to fit the molds of people who came before rather than, oh, I can just be, an, I don't think anybody looks at Lisette Oropesa and go, oh my gosh, you could be the next Renee Fleming or like you sound like the next XYZ and I think there's a freedom in not feeling like you have you you are necessarily walking in someone's shoes or people are only expecting you to sound like someone else and not allowing you to have your own no I'm just sounding like Jamisa yeah well I, I will say like um as a person of color I I'm a chameleon in myself and I love people and I love being around people and so I being the only black person in the room only dawns on me I'd say like a tenth of the time like one out of ten times will I look around and be like oh yeah I'm the only black person here um I never really think about it um I I will say that when it comes to auditioning and being in an audition room when I'm not picked there is a little part of me that goes, was I not picked because of what I look like? Was I not picked because I'm black? Was I not picked 
because I'm not skinny? Was I not picked because my hair wasn't in a way that the, the wig person who was in the room could figure out how to do my hair? Mm-hmm. Um, was I not picked because they didn't have the makeup palette for me? Like, there's, I don't know, I know that a lot of people don't think that far ahead of time or don't think, oh, it could just be my voice or I could just not be what they're looking for. And most of the time I can convince myself of that. Um, but there is a part of me that, that questions what makes me what makes my counterparts um, my Caucasian counterparts or my Asian counterparts or all those other count different kind of counterparts um, more valuable for more valuable in a role than someone who looks like me mm-hmm. um, that was um, that is something that I definitely deal with mentally as far as what you say about being the next legend like that's that's really the standard um amongst people that i've noticed um most of the people they believe that they're paying you a huge compliment when they compare you to the legends um to jesse norman and to Leontine, which i've heard a million times in my lifetime um they hearing people compare me to them and knowing that Yes, I sing some of the same repertoire uh, that they sang in their 50s. I'm starting now in my, you know, not even 30, you know, my late 20s, um, starting to attack. It does cross my mind before I present a piece. If, if the only version of this they'll hear mm-hmm. is the version that Leontine did, or is the only version, are they looking for me to have that kind of perfection? Mm-hmm. And it's impossible to have. Let's go ahead and say that. Like, a live performance is a live performance, and whatever you do in a live performance is yours. Yeah, yeah. Um, and even if I tried to recreate that, it wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I started seeing Verity, for the for for instance, um, that's something that on the past two years, I've really started to make the shift to singing some of that stuff. I've stayed away from Aida. Why have I stayed away from Aida? Because if you go as a as a African American female, if you go to Aida too soon, you could break, because people get excited about that kind of music and they get excited about putting you in the in pieces, you know, and and pre- presenting that. Even if you don't sing it a hundred percent well, if you sing it just you know more than okay, people are like, oh, let's put her in it. And yeah, yeah. It's that's a dangerous thing. Um, even singing stuff from Porgy and Bess, like. I think about whether um, that's something I want to do before I go into an audition. Yes, and I and I, but you know, you and I are when we first started. So many times, hindsight is twenty twenty. I know this, but like so many times, it was like, "Don't sing poor again, Beth. You'll get stuck." And like everybody, not not just my African American teachers, because I never had one of those, by the way. <laughs> um, but like. All of my teachers, the very, the like, the very first thing they started telling me was, you don't need to sing Porgy and Bess. Like, you need to know Summertime, but you don't need to be presenting that for people. Um, and I had to stop. That was so crazy. Like, these people who just came out of nowhere and were basically like, no, don't do that. <laughs> like, no, just don't do it. And it's so interesting because everyone has their opinion. It'll be like, oh, well, you know, some people will look at it and think it's musical theater. Some people... And it's like, have you... If, if anyone sings any of those pieces well, you know that it's more than musical theater. Right. 
And so I just, I just feel like we should hop off of that train because we're smarter than that. We're smarter than that, people. Um, and not only that, and I think as a black singer, the only, the biggest issue that I've had has been in learning American opera repertoire. Oh, it's impossible. Because, you know, it is what it is. But if I want to sing something like Blitch from Susanna, which I love, it's not Andre singing Blitch. It can be. But a lot of times you get, oh my gosh, a black Blitch? How interesting would that be? Is it a black Blitch and a white Susanna? That would be an interesting conversation. Right. The black man taking advantage of the white woman. And then it just becomes a thing. It becomes, it becomes a, a gimmick now because it's not just, I just like this character. Well, and then there's that whole conundrum of like, this is a weird, this sort of in the same vein, but like, um, the big Verdi opera. So, like, Traviata is often, has been in the history of Traviata performed by African-American women. There's this whole psychology, and I don't know if I adapt to the psychology, but there's a whole psychology about um, are we allowed to do someone like someone like Violetta because she's a prostitute as opposed to a, a, a somebody like, um, like a countess you know, who has virtue and has all of these things. Like, is it, are we only allowed to play the dirty girls? You know what I mean? The girls who are deceitful. Seen some things. Right, right. Even, even, even like. Even Mimi. Yeah. Seen some things. Seen some things. Lived in squalor. Like, that idea of, like, you can only, unless you, there, there, there's not really that many things that people feel like we could sing that, um, that have just 100% of sort of background that's, like, astute. Yeah. Yeah, and I. Mm-hmm. And as far as American opera goes, um, the weird thing about that is like America's big trauma is slavery. Like America's big trauma, that's the thing that we have to draw on. You know, people have like revolutions and all that stuff, but for us, like our big, like universal trauma is slavery and, and segregation. So um, you have operas that address those things, or that have you looking, have you being a slave or have you being a maid or have you being this that and other thing like um and you have american opera that utilizes that but we i mean until things like blue we didn't really have sort of like a narrative that was uniquely centered around african-american culture and now a lot of people say that oh that would be the porgy and best but if every time i go to sing a, a bring something to a teacher with porgy and best and that they tell me i can't do it then, and that's even a version of African American history or a, a version of an, an African American thing from a perspective that's not from an African American. So it's like. <laughs> well, it's interesting because it's okay. Like I said, Blitch is like, oh, you're going to be a black Blitch. Oh my God, that's so interesting. Okay, so let's find something that's more standard or something black. So you go Porgy and Best. Oh, you can't do that because, you know, some people will think it's musical theater. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, Kirk Meacham has uh, John Brown opera. There's an aria, Frederick Douglass. And then it's like, oh, well, no one knows that opera. And people, <laughs> you don't want to sing stuff that people don't know. And then Margaret and, Gardner and, and things like that. And, like, like, and people are like, pianists can't play that in an audition. It's like, so I can't learn anything. Is what you're, and, <laughs> and this other part is, like you said, because of America's history, a lot of... Uh, the new opera has is based on American actual history. Right. And 
I'm just JFK the opera. I'm not going to. I don't even know if JFK Kennedy is, is a baritone. Is a baritone. Oh, okay. It's an opera, but I don't know if it's a baritone. <laughs> okay. But even if he is a baritone. I'm not going to audition for that role. Right, like, I can't audition for Nixon in China. Like, it's not going to happen. Like, and 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 so, just, and I think regular, like, straight plays or theater world and a musical theater, everyone's struggling with, why can't we just make it original content? Everyone's trying to either do things they've already done or pull on historical things. And for certain minor... Uh, Groups, not even just uh, minorities, but even how we perceive some like women gender issues. Um, if you go all the way in the history, if we only pull from history, those are not positive times. No, and there's... people are tired of doing playing oppressed roles. It's like, can we maybe form a new opera? Boy meets girl. They get a dog. <laughs> yeah. Maybe there's drama with the neighbor. And we write an opera about it. Maybe you fall in love with the neighbor. I don't know. But something that doesn't have a color attached to it, doesn't have a problematic minority attachment to it. And so I think the que- the answer is more about do we trust audiences for new works in general and art in general, not just right. opera. Just yeah. Well, and I think that Quarantine has shown us that we can Ooh, trust them. And that we're going to have to because right. no one's probably going to do Lenita de Figaro in a, for a while. <laughs> so you might have to pull into those two people operas so, <laughs> the, and make gotta, it work. That blue beard. Uh, I got to yeah. pull out that blue beard for everybody. But, um, but I think also, too, that that's something that has to be looked at. I mean, it wasn't, I don't know who it was. Oh, I feel really bad that I don't know who it Maybe. Ugh. I can't remember what her name is, and that Misha. Misha, Misha Burger Gosman. Yes, she did like Lulu or something. I think she did a Lulu. Yeah, she did a Lulu, and I swear to goodness, I'd never even thought of Lulu as something that I would even look at until I saw Misha do it. So there's this like weird block towards yes. a whole section of music. Um, because there, none of the greats. None of the greats did them, yes. and so. Uh, yeah, while it's like totally standardized for me to be like, yeah, I'm going to sing Verity, it is not totally standardized for I'm going to sing something new and weird and nuanced and interesting. And people who are listening to that, people who know opera and are listening to that, they have in their heads what all that stuff should sound like. Mm-hmm. If you bring up a John Adams opera, like the people are like, it's supposed to sound like this. And that's not what I sound like. <laughs> their, their audio palette for it is not what I sound like. And I'm curious if there was no Leontine singing Give Me My Robe. Yeah. Cleopatra. If there, if Pork and Bess wouldn't have been as successful, would even black people feel that they can sing Susanna or any of the Carlisle Floyds? Well, yeah. Well, the Carlisle Floyds, they're such a weird, that's a, that's, that's a weird thing. Right. That's such a weird thing for me because I feel like Carlisle Floyd is like the American Puccini. And I mean, for a young, a younger soprano, I'm talking like tw- late twenties, a younger soprano, um, who has a larger voice and it's growing like Carlisle Floyd stuff is like baby gloves. I mean, they are like smooth velvety gloves. They fit so well. Um, and but then the subject matter doesn't line up with anything that makes any sense for an African American to sing. 
Um, yes. And that's really hard. That's really hard to have a whole repertoire, um, a whole a whole basket of arias and songs and things that you're not sure you can present because of your color. And I think a conversation maybe for another day is, why do you pick rep? Do you pick rep because you like it? Do you pick rep because it's a business move and you have to figure out oh, you only goodness. pick rep that's a business move rather than rep that your heart wants to sing and how to reconcile when you have to do one or the other this is how you reconcile let me tell you what you do you sing competitions <laughs> no, no that's I think, I think that's the thing about competitions because when you're going uh, i don't know audition for program number fifty-five thousand. you know their season they're doing a mozart they're doing a rossini they're doing I don't know, a haggy. And so you go into your back pocket and you go, what can I present that maybe can show that I can do maybe one of these? And so you're playing this game. If I do this, they can hear this. If I do this, they can hear this. But with competitions, it's like, I do these five arias really, really well that no one can. And it doesn't matter. I don't have to connect it to anything. I'm just singing because I like these and I can, and I've done the work and I just want to sing and that's it. And I have to say, I've won competitions with arias that I never anticipated ever winning competitions with. When I first pulled out Klinger de Heimat, the first time I pulled out Charadash, I was at Charlotte Opera Guild, and I was like, mm, we'll just see. <laughs> like, we'll just see what happens. Because in my mind, that's not something someone who looks like me or sounds like me would think. Yes. Um, it's big. You, they're like, it's big-ish, but it's like too fun and you have to be sexy and you have to be this and so there was this like weird thing that I was like I'm just gonna try it and it turned out to be one of the best arias that I sing mostly because I'm just having a good time yes. <laughs> I'm just having a good time and so I don't know how many of those I don't know how I, I wonder how I, I, I say it this way but it's, it's not I wonder how the other half of the of the world lives with um, with picking repertoire based on based on their sound um primarily not based mm -hmm. on um not based on all the other factors that sort of are implanted for me to think of oh i see what you're saying i mean it's very interesting if you are i think making assumptions for lyric voices because i'm not one <laughs> but if you're a lyric voice like you literally can sing whatever and especially nowadays if you're like oh i'm a lyric but I like Verdi. You can probably find a Verdi, I mean, a lyric singing a Verdi role and being successful and being like, oh, I can sing whatever. <laughs> I mean, I think that that stretches all the way up into maybe Wagner. I think yeah. there's an understanding now with Wagner that's like, right. okay, maybe. Okay, if you ain't got the chops, don't try it. <laughs> but with Verdi, I was just talking to someone about this. I think because there aren't as many true Verdians, mm -hmm. in lady rep, men rep in general, that it's. Verdi has become this like anybody's get anybody's game anybody's who can get paid to sit who can sing it, whether you sing it well or not. It's like well you know there aren't any Verdians taking these roles up. Last yesterday I sang a, a nice handle opera. I think I can give <laughs> yeah, this. I think a, I can give this a shot. Well, and on the same side of that, on the other side of the coin of that. So when I was in grad school, I would like to say that Ver there are lots of elements of handle and Verdi that can. That can what? cross over. Yes. Yes. But keep going. But I mean, there is a reason why people have that thought. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. But I will say, um, in undergrad, the other side of the coin is, in under, um, not undergrad, in graduate school, they had an audition to sing for, um, God, what is that opera? I don't know. Ah, <laughs> ah. 
Je veux vivre. Oh, Romeo and Juliet. Oh, yes. They had auditions for Romeo and Juliet. Now, we all know <laughs> what kind of voice type should be singing Romeo and Juliet. Or do we? Because the voice that's singing at the beginning is not always the kind of heft and energy you need to sing at the end. However, we know what kind of voice is standardly sing that. Standardly, it's a lighter voice that has some color in it that can get a little heavier. And so, um, I, you know, when they had auditions for it, I was like... I'm doing this. Might as well. I might as well do this. And so, well, you and I spent countless hours uh, <laughs> doing that, doing all of those ahs at the beginning of that aria, <laughs> countless arias, and coming up with different, um, coming up with different ornamentations and having fun with it. And I, I swear it was like, it might have been a little bit like Brunhilde was singing. <laughs> but I think it's. It was. But if if we look at it the way that people are looking at film now, that people are just people. Like Juliet, right? Bare bones, human being. Is a girl. Likes a boy. She's a little rebellious. We could probably go into why she's rebellious, but who knows? That's it. Right. Nothing of that says what she looks like. Nothing of that says what she sounds like if you're in an opera. Nothing like that says how she can move on stage. Those things we just put on it. Yeah. And we do that with so many roles. We put things on it because we don't trust that a real person knows how other real people live. Live. And so if you know how if you know how a can access that part of you or find the tools to be young, rebellious, and can sing the notes. Which I guess every girl in her 20s who has a good, good range could do. And, it might, and the thing is, your, your Juliet might not fit. <laughs> right, might not uh, the, fit. Might not fit a um, Romeo. Right. Might not fit the rest of the cast. And that's a different story. But it doesn't mean you automatically can't do it learn it it's right it's music it's a character these are people these are actually sorry these aren't real people it's really okay you can, <laughs> it's really okay they're to just make, notes you can to be fictional yeah it's really um, okay to just be fictional but i also think what what you were saying about um oh my gosh what role were you just talking about how you need julia yeah i'm sorry i i feel that <laughs> way right now about cleopatra oh yeah because you the uh, the voice that i want to hear Varoro uh, Pupile mm-hmm. or a um, Piangero might not necessarily be the same voice that wants to sing Da Tempesta. <laughs> that may be on the other half. But it's just like with the Messiah. It's like there are some people who would rather have an amazing Rejoice Greatly and uh, whatever. Um, I know that my uh, Redeemer lives. Yeah. And there are some people who are like, no, I can, if you miss a couple of those notes in that color tour, I don't care. <laughs> Just give me <laughs> a good. No redeemer, that redeemer, redeem it all. And so with Juliet, it's like, what do you, I mean, yes, you want someone that can be proficient on the whole role. But. But why is that stuff. weighted? I, I, under, I don't understand why that stuff is weighted toward the lighter. Yes. Faster moving stuff because I feel like a good variant soprano should be able to think on a role like Juliet's because it's not really a lot of coloratura, it's more furatura in some of the ways that some of it is set up. Mm-hmm. And I think that it it could be totally feasible to weigh it towards weight it towards the heavier side of it. I think the problem comes when you start talking about who's gonna be Romeo and um, trying to find 
trying to find I, that balance. But I feel like with sopranos, it's such a difficult conversation. If you are a soprano with any size of your voice, God bless your journey on this planet trying to find a, a tenor oh, that's I've available. Only, I've only been blessed like twice in my life <laughs> to sing with a tenor who like who like would give me. I, you know, would give me what I need as the like the kind of support that I need. And it doesn't mean that they're less than or less good. It's just in terms of balance, right? In terms of audible balance, mm-hmm. like there's only been a couple times in my life where I felt like, oh, okay, I, we can we can holler, we can both be free enough to use our whole voices. Yep. Um, but I wonder if that's just a problem in general in opera. I think so. I think it's just because I mean, from a numbers game, they're more sopranos than tenors, right? And they're it's easier to sift through us and find one that matches yes, what you already got. Yes. Than to sift through right. And I hate that, but yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, We're basically like on the rolodex, and then it's like, oh, this one goes with this one. Yes. And that's that's frightening too, because sometimes that's the reason why you don't get picked too. Yes, and it's nothing to do with your performance. You could be the best thing that walked up in that room, but if they don't have a another group of voices that can balance you, you literally can't work. And it's and it's hard as a singer to understand it's hard for people who don't do what we do to understand that you can literally be the person for the job right the best person yeah but you don't get it because of not because and not even because someone was better than you or just as good as you but because of the other people other the part. other cast and here's the funny thing even on top of that you could in your 10 minutes say something that told them say something or your energy in that 10 minutes could be the thing that they're like she's not going to work well with this one person uh, on staff and, and, and they, you're and like and that, poof you're gone yep and that person and <laughs> they need that person more than they need you <laughs> right and that's how it is um but i think i think for sopranos it's even more treacherous because you know i've heard people say like if sopranos flat like go ahead throw them in the trash and look let me tell you I've heard all other voices on stage 100% like there's no way he's singing those notes and thinking he's hitting those notes or there's no way that's really happening and nobody is batting an eye but it's like well he's fine he, he's coming back in the second act like what <laughs> but for soprano in that audition in that five minutes if you happen to sing a wrong note or happen to sing a melisma too low or too high or too and you go off and it's not quite like, you're just counted off. You just, oh, she can't do it. But I will say, back to our conversation about... How many mistakes can you make, you know? <laughs> yes. How many mistakes can... No, I mean, I'm not... No, but zero. I'm, yeah. Um, and <laughs> zero. <laughs> but I think... Back... And then... No, wait, no. I'm sorry to keep cutting you off. But not only can you make zero mistakes in Soprano, but then being a person of color is that... Then they go, but does she sound like Leontine at 50, at well, 27? not only that, I mean, but the... You say all of those things, but the reality is there are plenty of sopranos who work all the time that make mistakes. So obviously that's a whole joke. That's a lie. <laughs> that's, that's a lie. lie. That's a, a lie we tell ourselves, it's right? It's a lie. It's a lie. Um, one thing about Juliet and your comment about Juliet and Verdi and how the same kind of voice could or should be able to sing it. I think that's a conversation about how voices are trained now. Mm. I think if your voice showed promise of moving, then they... Just put you put, towards put you, that. Put you that, and if your voice doesn't, they don't make you move. They're like, "Oh, you're really not good at this. So let's do something else that you're good at." <laughs> I wish my teacher was that nice. And <laughs> and then you, um, 
and you don't you don't venture back to it and you might have that that one teacher or coach that's like oh you should maybe work on some of those color tour passages but then you have another person that's like meh just learn Vitsy Dottily it's fine right like it's <laughs> and, fine and so we I do think there is this idea <laughs> there's this world where are we training singers to be good enough to do all the things the answer's no and it's like <laughs> there's a Dusty Marchese book somewhere but like <laughs> hey you know if you just if you just pick me the, a lumperty pick up just, some lumperty if you just do a, a couple, a couple scales, of scales I do think I, I want to know when we got off of that track of scales because well, instrumentalists do it all the time they literally have scale juries where they just go in and just play scales and I and I don't know when we were just like and I there there was probably a time singers do scales there were everyone knows that. oh yeah no there were lots of I know Pav had to be doing yeah, scales do your scales and then they just at some point teachers were like maybe incorporate some scales into your work well I think it came I think that change came when teachers started to take over when teachers started to take over their own to start to adapt to their own technique of how to teach so I think um, before we. Uh, again, counted on the greats, the people who knew, the people who researched, the people who worked with a hundred singers over their lifetime to come up with a book that we sort of followed and used as a guideline. Like when you go to school and there's a pre a plan pre plan pre plan made for you. Yeah. Um, but now we're in this era of learning technique and learning the way the body works and being able to scope people and being able to look and see what what this does versus what this does. And how and teachers in and of themselves too are trying to make their own, their own mark. They they want to become one of the greats because they had so many so many singers who did really well with certain things. So I think that's kind of where that change happened, where we stopped counting on the ears and the technique of people who had been doing it for years and years and years and years and thought, okay, I need to write my exercises down. Yes. <laughs> and now everyone's like, I've been doing it for two months, now I need to write all my exercises down. Yes. Well, and that, and it's because there's to so many more people who want to learn how to sing and there are so many people who are like, I could, I could teach you how to sing. Right. Like, there are people, and this is no shade to anyone, I've seen people barely get an undergraduate degree in voice who put out ads to teach singing and see and for me i i have let's count them three degrees that specialize in singing i don't want to teach <laughs> i just don't think i know i don't want that responsibility i just don't think i know enough to be able to teach someone what i think i might know only on tuesdays when it works on wednesday like well, you know I mean, but at the same time part of this conversation is what it takes to be a singer, I mean, a teacher, is it you telling them what you do or you're just showing them the basics, especially in the beginning? Like, do yeah. you necessarily need to know the uh, how to fluently sing every note in your voice to give somebody a Marchese uh, exercise and teach them the understandings of Messi di Volce? I don't know. I think this. Nope. I think it's a balance. I think it's about. Yeah. I think some of it is like, oh, this is what what, what do I what do I know? Versus, it's like running for president or being a president. It's like, do the presidents know everything about every part of government, every part of how the world works? No. You just learn at the top that you just learn, if you don't know it, you learn to delegate the information to other people. But can you do that in a studio? I think you can. I mean, I think that's the difference between I'm going to make up my own vocal warm ups versus 
you can learn look at these Vakai workouts. Right. We can do these together and we can talk about them as you do them. Yeah. But I'm not going to say that I know how to warm up your voice the best because I've only been singing for 31 years. And, <laughs> and these Lamperti exercises have been here for much longer much than Much longer than me. So I'm not going to use my, I'm not going to <laughs> delude so, myself to think that I, I know more. So I guess... I guess my in in that in that I would say even if I didn't even if I didn't know all of the Marchese book I would for Jamisa from my life for me and my house yes for you and your house we will serve <laughs> yes for me and my house I want to know seventy to eighty percent of how to sing that well before I come at you with your first with your first thing only because. If I know 70 or 80%, that means that I could probably give you 50 to 60% <laughs> of how to do well. Yeah. And then somebody could take it from there who wasn't me. But do but if I don't know my voice well enough to navigate those things well, I feel it's it's doing you a disservice to sit back and watch you do it without having any idea of how hard or how um, what the mental capacity for figuring that out is. And I would say that that's a recent thing in my life that I felt that particular way only because I just started studying with a, um, a Verdian soprano, um, Susan Dunn, and by just that we've been studying now for almost three years. Um, <laughs> and being with her, things have been so different than any other teacher that I've ever encountered because when I run into roadblocks, when I'm learning an aria and I'm like, oh, this isn't working. Sometimes I'll go in the studio and I'll sing it and she's like, oh, you need to sing an E vowel instead of an A vowel. And the only reason she knows that is because she's the same voice type as me. Yeah. And and if any, and I, I would work on the same aria with, uh, I had another teacher who was a Wagnerian, another teacher who was a baritone. And like, they would say a whole bunch of other different other things. Because they're coming out from their perspective. Right. Mm -hmm. To tell me how to sing that. But. I mean, a, literally a frustration that I'll have with, with, with Susan, like I'll have a frustration with Susan and Susan's like, no, that's just how it is at this point in your life. Like it, that's going to be the, the truth for the next three years. Like, and yeah. it's so weird to have someone tell you that she, and to tell you that at that specific, yeah, I had a hard time with that when I was 27 too, yeah. you know, and yeah. oh, oh, I'm so, so thankful for um, her guidance at this point in my journey because I'm singing stuff like I had a teacher before who gave me um, my first Verdi aria, which I sang everywhere during that 25. Mm -hmm. I was 25 years old. Yes, I was singing. Uh, Lots of people. You yeah, I was singing. Good. I was singing Verdi, pulling them out. You know, that's that sensational seven. That's that. Yes. You know, maybe a few years down the Shout road. Shout out to David Oker. Yes, sensational <laughs> seven. <laughs> um, uh, kind of thing. And so when I did that, the aria that my teacher at that time picked. Um, Susan was like, when I brought that to her, she was like, this is a really hard aria for your age and like where you are in your vocal development as this voice type. You needed to start here. And I was like, why? But why are we starting there if I can sing it well and it's working? And she's like, and then we changed it. And I sang something else. I sang, um, I think at that time I was singing Tachea, Tachea La Notte. And then she changed it to, to me singing Ernani. And I swear to God, it was like, it was like, Ernani, oh, I know how that goes. I can yeah. function in that. And like, yeah. I got it. 
But Tatiana took so much time at the beginning to try to figure out how it goes. And still now I'm like, I don't know if I should ever sing that again. <laughs> because of how badly I, I had the mindset of going into that. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I feel like I feel like I've been really, really like blessed and not just lucky, but blessed to be there at the right time, like to have the teachers that I've had at the time in which I had it. Now, I will say the teacher who assigned me, Tachea, she assigned me that and it opened up a whole new way to look at music. I would have been terrified if Ernani was my first introduction aria to, to Verdi. I would have not wanted to sing him at all. Um, had it not been for that first putting together of Tachea, um, it I mean, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have even given it a chance. I think that's I think there are rarely bad choices. It's just choices that lead to other choices. Right. And because I think people go, Why are you sing you're too young to sing that? But who knows that what you were learning in that one little thing that you shouldn't have sang allowed you to sing something else really well well and what it taught me though what Tache taught me over Ernani Ernani's probably six minutes long Tache is definitely over eight that was my first eight minute aria I'd never sung anything that shout out to Abigail Rithwich the queen <laughs> the of the eight minute, the queen of the eight minute aria <laughs> But for me, I was the queen of the two and a half minute aria. I can sing any Puccini in two and a half minutes. Yes. Um, yes. Um, but I, but that was the first time that I had to sing an aria that took more time, and that I had to have vocal stamina because you know Verdi is not giving you it, the hard parts at the end. Yes. Like, yes. The yes. hard parts at the end, and so there's no rest for the weary. <laughs> and so, um, so I learned how to not just power through that, and then she, uh, you know, um. Jean-Michel had me singing also Liza Liza. Liza Liza from Avisa. And that, like, to be able to sing that 10-minute aria and to be able to sing them back to back, it was this revelation of you can sing for more than 10 minutes and, like... Not die. Not die. Under pressure. It was poem sweating. You can sing all of that stuff and feel, like, empowered and ready. Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know. They Because, but you you saw what the potential could be. Right. And maybe you shouldn't live in that potential at 25 every day. But because you knew what you could handle, it made smaller things seem more manageable. Right, yeah. So yeah. it was a blessing. Well, and, and now when I sing, when I sing arias, I sing them with the 10 minute, with the 10 minute aria energy. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Before I was like, I don't have to sing past four minutes. So... Once that four minutes is done, I can release everything and everything's fine. But now, even my mindset is like, okay, you never know when this is going to end. They can ask for another one. They can ask for another one. They can ask for another one. Um, I, I'm, I love that. Mm -hmm. And after singing my first role, I needed that. When I first sang Swarangelica, which if you don't know, is like the baby butterfly. <laughs> like, it, I mean, she is treacherous. She comes out of nowhere singing stuff that's way too much. Um, and very emotionally attached. Mm -hmm. um, and knowing me, this, I mean, you know, if you can't sing it, you know. <laughs> if you can't sing it, act it out. Like, yes, when in doubt, act it out. When in doubt, act it out. School of the Arts model. logo. <laughs> there you go. No one knows about. No one knows about. But when um, in doubt, act it out. But when in doubt, act it out. And so, I, but, and for me, act it out means I am doing way too much with my voice. <laughs> it's always meant that. And so, uh, 
it wasn't it was because of moments like singing things singing that verity that i even thought i could get through swan jellica that second time in italy yeah 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 well i think we covered so many things (laughs) so many things um do you have any in conclusions? You know what? I don't have any in conclusions. And if I did, I mean, I know you so well that there, I, I conclude everything. I like I already know. <laughs> yeah, but they don't know. I know, but that's why I'm saying I can't. <laughs> in conclusion, you know, your journey's your journey. Yes, your journey is your journey. In conclusion, your journey will not look like everybody else's. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, and that's not a bad thing. Yes, and you being the superstar. Oprahlin said this. You being a superstar at your school does not mean anything about outside of school. Um, that was hard for me to accept yes, for a long yes, time. Yes. That was hard. I was very bitter for a long time that I wasn't the superstar at my school. Um, but I think I've I think yeah. I've done okay for myself. Yes. I'm I'm happy. And here's the thing. I never leave a place. I never sing in a place where I don't leave with at least a handful of fans. Yeah. A handful of new people who are always checking in on me, who want to know me, who want to know about me. Um, I'm lucky. Yeah. So, thank you everyone for joining us in another day, another episode of So You Went to School for Singing, the podcast. Oh, Jamisa, where can they find you on social media? Oh, I am the Queen of the Carolinas on Instagram. And... (laughs) Well, I earned that name, okay? The, the, when I decided on that name, I had won the Metropolitan Opera Council auditions in both South Carolina and North Carolina twice. Um, and so I'm the queen of Carolina. This is how it is. <laughs> and, um, they also can find me on Facebook, um, just Jamisa Yarbrough. Spell, if you spell it right, J-E-M-E-E-S-A. You should be able to find me. There's only one. Excellent. Well, you have a good day, and thank you so much for joining me today, Jamisa. Thanks for having me, Andre. Until next time.